0: Hey everybody, welcome to episode 311 of The Virtual Couch. I am your host, Tony Overbay. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, certified mindful habit coach, writer, speaker, husband, father of four, ultramarathon runner and creator of The Path Back, an online pornography recovery program that is helping all kinds of people turn away from unhealthy coping mechanisms for the uh, the voids in their lives, the turning to unhealthy coping mechanisms like pornography. So if you're hoping to put that behind you, if you're hoping to be the best version of you that you can ever be, and turn away from feeling like you need to cope when you don't feel as connected in your marriage in your your parenting your health your faith your career then head over to pathbackrecovery.com and there you will find a short ebook that describes five myths that people uh, believe when they are trying to put some unhealthy coping mechanism like pornography behind them once and for all. So again, pathbackrecovery.com. And uh, go to tonyoverbay.com and shoot me a note through the contact form if you are interested in hearing more about my magnetic marriage course. My my buddy and good friend Preston Pugmire and I have ran three rounds of the magnetic marriage course up to this point, And I, I have no qualms in saying that our course is amazing. It really is. It's the way to communicate. If you've heard me talk about my four pillars of a connected conversation, we go so big on the four pillars and a framework to communicate that I feel very confident in this. And the last uh, two rounds, actually all three rounds, when we have made the cart available or open, it sold out um, relatively quickly. So head over to tonyoverbay.com. Shoot me a note there if you are interested. We'll get you on the wait list. And then I am going to be talking quite a bit more about this on My podcast, on this podcast, most likely on my Waking Up to Narcissism podcast as well. And if you follow me on social media, whether it's through Facebook at Tony Overbay Licensed Marriage and Family Therapist or on the uh, Virtual Couch Instagram account, you're going to hear more about it because Preston and I continue to revamp and develop the course and it uh, it is something that I'm very proud of and excited to offer because it will change your marriage. It really will. So let's get to today's topic though. Today I am going to talk about marriage advice. And I will often be asked through whether I go, when I go speak of the, hey, as a marriage therapist, what are some tips that you can offer newlyweds? And here's why this is just something that is in the forefront of my mind right now. And ironically, it does have to do with my four pillars of a connected conversation. So I really feel like people don't know that they need certain tools until they have gone through something and they have to go and, and find tools. People that are coming in to see me as a marriage therapist, and I still see 15, 20 couples a week as part of my regular practice, that they don't just want to check in and pay somebody to say, I think we're doing... And typically it's when there's been something like betrayal or when people feel like they are at the verge of divorce or people just feel like they don't know how else to be heard or seen or understood, then often it's fine. We'll go see somebody. We'll go see a marriage therapist. And in that case, then when the people are coming into my office, sitting on my couch, then you've got people that either don't know what they don't know, which I am convinced that we do not have the tools naturally to be able to communicate effectively in a relationship because we bring all of our own stuff to into the marriage, all of our own our versions of what we thought marriage would be, the way that we were parented, our hopes and dreams, our expectations, our relationships with money and our relationships with sex, the way that we parent, that they're all coming from a place that we somewhat assume that everyone, that there's this global belief of how these things operate in a relationship. So then we show up in a marriage and then we are both playing this uh, game of somewhat enmeshment or codependency where we're trying to make sure that we don't say the wrong thing that will frighten this partner away because at our core, we really want to connect with somebody. And I, I say so often that the concept of abandonment is programmed into our DNA, that abandonment equals death. So when we are starting to get into a relationship, we're just trying to make sure that we don't say anything dumb and this person then will find out some uh, deep, dark secret about who we are and that they will go running away. So it can seem as subtle as somebody saying, hey, do you like the, I don't know, do you like the new Batman movie that's out right now? And and you can watch someone say, they can say, I don't know, what'd you think? Where if at their core... They absolutely couldn't stand the movie, but they feel like well, if I go big and tell them I can't stand it, this person might think, what, are you a lunatic? It was the greatest movie in the world. De- absolutely, our relationship is not going to work. So even in as low charged topics as what movie do you like or what kind of food do you like or where do you want to vacation, we're still playing this game of where, I don't know, what do you think? You tell me what you think first. And I noticed that in adult relationships about some of the most trivial topics where someone just says you tell me what you think I'm not trying to get political but i witnessed a conversation not too long ago with a couple of people that i really uh, care about where they were talking about being vaccinated or not being vaccinated and one of the one of them said well what are your thoughts on it and the other person said you go first and I was just sitting back as the observer, but I thought it was really fascinating that neither one of them wanted to just say their opinion, and they had two completely different opinions, which was very interesting. And so if we can't talk about even low-charge topics without trying to figure out what's the best way to present myself, then it's going to be really difficult to talk about high-charge topics. And as a matter of fact, in my Magnetic Marriage course, we I talk about these high-charge topics or the things like parenting, religion, finances, sex and intimacy, And oh, politics, I was going to say, I think there's five that I typically go to that are the high charge topics. So we just don't have those tools or those skills from the factory. So I'm often asked, hey, what's the best advice that you can give someone in a marriage or in a relationship? And it really would be to just, if you could learn the tools before you have to find the tools to communicate more effectively, if you can learn how to deal with tension in a relationship, because we're so afraid that it's going to go to contention, that we have tension altogether then that would just be amazing. But that is going to be something you're going to hear more about as I ramp up to my next round of the Magnetic Marriage course. So today, I really wanted to just give some just generic marriage advice, and I'll comment a little bit on that. I am recording this one in video, so if you are a YouTube person, then please go to my YouTube channel, Virtual Couch, and, and please hit the subscribe button. That would be amazing, and you can catch the video there. So here we go. I actually jotted down 11 marriage tips, marriage advice. Why 11? because I had 10 and and then I thought of one this morning. And I inserted that one actually into number two so that that it would just liven things up a bit. So the first thing, go to bed. Go to bed because so many stories happen when it's late and people are tired. And by stories, I think that's a nice way for me to say arguments and disagreements. I I can't tell you how often someone says, and then we were up until all hours of the night and we couldn't um, come to any sort of a a resolution. We couldn't be heard. We couldn't be understood. And finally, I just had to go to bed. And so at that point, I said, look, I can't do this anymore. And so I feel like when people just get emotionally overwhelmed or physically exhausted, that that is a combination that does not lead to a connected conversation or any type of productive communication. So, just on this one, on the rest, I'm going to just give you my thoughts and opinions. On this one, I actually pulled up a little bit of data. I happen to have a couple that was coming in that struggles with this. Actually, most of my couples, if I'm uh, the ones that are really trying to communicate more or they've had an unhealthy pattern of communication, there's typically this component where they don't have an opportunity to communicate until late at night. And so, at that point, if there's some Uh, stress from the day or overall sleep deprivation from the week because of kids or work schedules or that sort of thing that they do go in trying to communicate and it's a little bit too late at night. So I'm pulled from an article. This is actually, it's from stylist.co.uk. So we're going across the pond here, but I liked it. It said lack of sleep effects. Why do we get more emotional when we're tired? And this was written by Lauren Gial. And I'm going to jump down a little bit here where she's share an example of where she's tried to communicate more effectively and when she's tired and it doesn't work well. But she pulled some research from a a place called Benson for Beds. And she says 87% of people say tiredness makes them intolerant with one in five or 18% roughly saying they constantly disagree with their partner because they feel exhausted. And some 15% of people also said they feel their personality changes when they're tired. And more than a fifth confess that they swear under their breath at everything when they're lacking sleep. And this article came out about a year ago, and so they refer to a lot of the struggles with lockdown or with the pandemic. But I want to refer to, this is why I enjoyed this article, uh, stylist spoke to sleep expert Dr. Sophie Bostock to find out more, including how a lack of sleep has the potential to impact our mental health. So she said that, why do we get so emotional when we're tired? We've established that everything gets a bit more trying when we're feeling low on energy, but what is actually going on in our brains to make us feel this way? And Dr. Bostock said, to make sense of this, it's worth thinking back 200,000 years ago when our early humans were living out on the savanna. Dr. Bostock said, in those days, what would have kept us awake? Predators, storms, hunger, threats to survival. And so our brains have evolved to interpret sleep deprivation as a potentially dangerous situation. The amygdala, which is part of the brain which switches on the fight or flight or freeze stress response, therefore gets more sensitive. So she said this means that we become much more emotional and then even small problems feel more stressful. And because our amygdala is more sensitive when we're feeling tired, and we're therefore more likely to have our stress response activated. She said that a lack of sleep can also have a physical impact on our body. And this is because when the fight or flight response is triggered, hormones flood through our body to help us respond to the thing that we've identified as a threat. So she says the stress hormones, adrenaline and cortisol, increase our heart rate, our blood pressure and our blood flow to our muscles. And over time, a lack of sleep is linked to an increased risk of high blood pressure, heart disease and even early mortality. So the first thing that I can suggest then is please go to bed. And I remember when my wife and I were married, We had one of those, uh, just a a kindly um, person that was giving us marriage advice as they were marrying us. And they said, never go to bed angry, work things out. And I lived by that for so long. But I think that was when my wife and I, just everything was just, we were going to make the best of everything that, that we were so afraid of contention without even knowing that, that we would avoid tension altogether. So at some point, one of us would just acquiesce and say, no, you're right. And then we would go to bed and we would think that that worked okay. But I often say now in my marriage therapy, does okay mean that we just didn't make things worse? Or is it that we actually had a real connection through a conversation? And I think so often when people say that, no, things are going pretty well, it's because there's an absence of things going bad. So that first one, go to bed. And oftentimes we wake up and we feel more refreshed. And something that seemed so high-charged the night before isn't as big of a deal, and I think that research by Dr. Bostock makes so much sense there. Because when we are in this uh, heightened fight or flight state, and we view that this argument, we view this with far more emotion, and we view this disagreement as more of a, this conflict, or it just will feel so much bigger at night when we are sleep deprived. So I'm not abs- I'm not saying ignore it the next day and just hey they don't say anything, I don't say anything. It, it's quite the opposite. This is where I feel like being able to have a framework, my four pillars of a connected conversation is absolutely necessary to even go in and talk about things that, that have passed or even conversations that didn't go well. Number two, this is one, this is the one that I added because I thought about this this morning. I watched a TikTok video not too long ago. It was actually quite a while ago. And the cutest, most adorable little girl was talking about that one of her friends at class was a bucket dipper. And I think she was pointing her thumb down, a bucket dipper. And I just, I loved that concept. I, I assumed I knew what it meant, but I had to go look it up and I found a Psychology Today article. And uh, this is by um, Marvin Knittel. And it says the story of the dipper in the bucket. And he just says, the easiest way to fill your bucket is to fill someone else's bucket. There's a really simple principle here. But he said, um, the story of the dipper in the bucket originated in the 1960s when a gentleman named Donald, Dr. Donald Clifton, a psychologist and founder of the Clifton Strength School in Lincoln, Nebraska, Um, he said, in every booth of King's Restaurant in Nebraska was a small card containing the story of the dipper and the bucket. And such a simple idea made a great deal of sense, he said to so many people. So the dipper and the bucket. Recently, he said, someone told me your presentation to our group was very meaningful. And he said that one short sentence validated me. That simple sentence filled my bucket. On the other hand, if that person would have said, your presentation was interesting, but it's too bad you ignored the research of Dr. Smith. He said, that comment would have emptied my bucket. And and here's the concept. The easiest way to fill your bucket is to fill someone else's bucket. The unyielding secret of the bucket and the dipper is that when you fill another's bucket, it does not take anything out of your own bucket. That is gold at that point. Because I feel like so often we have this scarcity mindset of compliments or of praise. And so we often feel this either or, this all or nothing, this black or white, this cognitive distortion that if for some reason we compliment someone else, then that means that we then have less compliments that are coming our way. But you don't, when you fill someone else's bucket, it does not take from your bucket. So don't be a bucket dipper. Number three, tension is okay. So I've already alluded to this, but we're so afraid of contention that we avoid tension altogether. But it is okay to be a little more vulnerable. And ways to do that are to talk about a movie or a show or an opinion that you may not actually feel comfortable sharing or you may not have felt comfortable sharing in the past. I I give an example of a few years ago when I was really starting to understand this calm, confident energy was the way I referred to it. And where with a lot of people, we are so afraid then of things going to contention that we avoid even stating our opinions about even the most simple things. And the most simple thing in this, this case was the movie Dumb and Dumber. And I remember being around my family. It was around Christmas time. I think uh, TNT, one of those networks was running it over and over. And we were just together. I think we were playing car- a card game, board game. All my family was in town. And someone said, what do you want to watch? And I said, Oh, I like, I like that movie. I like Dumb and Dumber. And I remember a couple of my kids, I think my older kids looked at me and thought, and they said, wow, I didn't know you like that, Dad. That's a pretty silly movie. And I remember that moment feeling like, oh, they're going to gonna attack me. They're going to tell me that I'm, I can't believe you like this just very silly movie. And so I remember just feeling, oh, this feels a little tense, as simple as that is. And so rather than me just saying, yeah, you're right. It's dumb. I don't know. I, I don't know why you want to watch that. I don't know what I'm saying. Instead, I just said, oh, yeah, no, I think it's really funny. And I remember at that moment, too, calling a timeout. Maybe this is where it's not as fun to have a therapist as a dad or as a spouse. And I just said, hey, can I just ask you guys, let me check in. What does this feel like right now? With me saying that I actually do enjoy that movie. And uh, I believe it was my wife at the time said, I mean, it sounds like you're being a little aggressive. And I thought, oh, that, that, is, uh, that is so unfortunate because I, I feel like I'm just leaning in or stating my opinion. And that oftentimes I feel like if someone disagrees with us, then we take that disagreement as if they're telling us that we've done something wrong or we take a disagreement as criticism when in reality it is perfectly normal for us to have different opinions because we're going to like different things based on all of the things that we bring to the table, all of the things that we've been through. And so I, I enjoy a, a silly movie. Absolutely. And I know that there are things that other people enjoy that I do not. And that is perfectly Okay. So be okay with the tension. And one of the ways to test that is to be able to start to speak your opinion. It's interesting. I even wanted to say right then to stand up for yourself. But we, we feel like in order to have a different opinion, we often have to just come show up big. We have to, I'm puffing up my chest right now. I'm deepening my voice. And we feel like instead of just saying, oh, I disagree or "I have a different opinion, we feel like we often have to build some case in order to make our point. When in reality, we are all entitled to have a different opinion about something. Okay, so that was uh, the third one. Attention is okay. The fourth one is really understanding empathy. Or try your best to understand that concept of empathy. And remember that there's a difference between empathy and sympathy. Sympathy is saying, I'm so sorry. That would be really difficult. Empathy is saying, what is that like for you? Tell me about your experience. And even within that, I feel it's so important. To, to understand it is impossible to have perfect empathy for someone else because that would require that you have literally been that person, that you have been through every experience that they've gone through to know at that very moment that you can completely and absolutely understand, which no one can. There are even, and I pulled up a couple of these and too much of a digression, I think, but you can find some fascinating studies done on twins where twins will view the same they, they will view some scene, scenario. So they're getting the same input. And these are our identical twins that share so many of these common, common DNA. But then they are asked to then write out what their experiences, what they just saw. And I want to say, of course. But of course, then they have two different views of actually what they even took in, even though they just had the same input of data. But then their output is going to be different because it's all of their own processing of things throughout their life That cause them to pay more attention to some things than others or to have different opinions about the significance of certain things versus others. So while I believe it is absolutely important to be empathetic or to do your best to say, tell me more about that and to understand that that would be hard. That what people go through in their life is difficult. And My four pillars, so I'm alluding to this in this episode, and and I've talked about it in so many other episodes, but that first connected conversation is to assume good intentions, or there's a reason why people do or say the things that they do, and it's because of all of the experiences that that person's gone through. That second pillar is more of this mindset or this just something to be aware of that I can't tell somebody that they're wrong or I don't believe them, even if in my experience, I feel like they they are wrong or it's hard for me to understand or believe what they're saying. And that leads to pillar three, which is asking questions before making comments. And then pillar four, not going into a victim mode and staying present, staying out of my bunker. And the reason why I feel like those pillars are so important is they do set the stage to have empathy. If somebody, if you hear often, if you're the spouse that hears often that you're, let's say uh, your wife says, I just feel like you, you just fly off the handle. I feel like you just get so angry with me. And I feel like you raise your voice all the time that if I feel like I honestly, I've been working on not raising my voice for literally years and I've been meditating and I've been noticing, I've been being praised at work or even my kids have said that, wow, you seem a lot more calm, dad. But then if your wife then says, I feel like you just, again, fly off the handle and you just start yelling, then instead of me taking that as criticism, I need to assume good intentions. There's a reason why that she's saying that. And the second pillar, then I can't just say, that's ridiculous. Even again, if I feel like it, it is, And that third pillar would be, okay, hey, tell me more about that. Help me see my blind spots. Help me understand. I would love for you to point out those times when I, or point out those times that I that I do that moving forward. And then that fourth pillar where that guy would not just say, okay, you're just, you're the tone police then. I just want you to tell me, you just tell me if I'm talking okay. Maybe we can go get a decibel meter. Because that's going into victim mode and wanting my spouse to then rescue me. But the beauty of those four pillars is that empathy. That would be really hard if my spouse feels like, that I'm constantly yelling or I'm flying off the handle. And and if that is how they feel, then I want to express empathy for that them. I want to say, I, I can't imagine what that would feel like if you feel like your spouse is constantly just yelling. And that would be really hard. So I appreciate you sharing that. But then in these this world of four pillars, then after I have validated that person's experience and they feel heard and understood, absolutely, then I can then say, but I feel like I've been working on it. Or I, I know maybe I haven't made you aware of the fact that I've been taking courses on tone management. or But if you feel like that's still the case, then I can understand why that would be frustrating. So that concept of empathy is absolutely something that has to be learned. It it really does. And as a matter of fact, I've uh, had someone recently come in with their Myers-Briggs personality test, and it showed that they scored a little bit lower on empathy than on some other areas of their personality. And I loved that awareness because the person was able to take ownership and accountability and say, maybe I don't understand what empathy is. Maybe I, I, maybe I have a hard time really trying to put myself in someone else's shoes. And so they've been very vulnerable about, th- about that. And we've been working on that. And this is a little bit of a time to, I think, introduce a plug, an ad. And that would be if you are someone who struggles with empathy or someone who really is trying to understand your spouse more and uh, you feel like it is, it is something that you just don't have the tools or skills for. Maybe it is time to go seek help or find a therapist, a counselor. And right now, it can be very hard to find a therapist or a counselor. And if that's the case, do please give the world of online therapy a a try and go to betterhelp.com/slash virtual couch. You get 10% off your first month's treatment. They have a pretty amazing assessment process and intake process, and they'll match you with a licensed counselor who can then communicate with you through text or email or video chat. And uh, so I really feel like we we all owe it to ourselves to bump up that emotional baseline. And if you need to, to see somebody, if you're dealing with anxiety, depression, um, OCD, if just the uh, real spiraling negative thoughts or any of those kind of things, then talk to somebody. So whether you find somebody local that you can go see, or if you want to try the world of online counseling, then try betterhelp.com slash virtual couch. Okay, number five this is a topic that I I need to do an entire podcast on. Marriage tip number five is change your relationship with intimacy. And I will tell you not, it's been pretty long ago because I believe it was in the early days of of starting the podcast. So five years, I, I was on the verge of having an opportunity to possibly participate in a TEDx talk. And so I really would, if you are anyone out there that is coordinating TED Talks, then, then give me a shout. Because there was one that was going to happen in our area, and I can't blame it on the pandemic. I think the TEDx group in the area fell apart. and But I have this message that I felt passionate about at the time, and I've alluded to it in a couple of podcasts, but I have so much more I want to share about this. But in essence, it's the our relationship with intimacy, with physical intimacy, with sex. And the more that I was starting to see couples, then and here was the way things would play out often. I'm going to just go with the the traditional model where I would see the husband look at me and say things like, when I'm happy, I really think we should celebrate with sex. Or if I'm sad, then nothing is quite a pick-me-up like sex. And if I feel like a cold is coming on, then there's nothing like sex to help me feel better. And then they look at me almost as if to say, hey, so can you then explain that to my wife? Because I've sure tried. And after hearing that dozens and dozens, if not a hundred times or more, then I feel like I would look over to the wife and just say, okay, what are you hearing? And she would say something to the effect of, well, I'm hearing that I am responsible for his happiness and it all revolves around whether or not I want to have sex with him. And so in those scenarios, I would often then say, okay, now's a chance to reestablish that relationship with intimacy that I would then find the wives in the scenario would often say, okay, I have started to pull away or withdraw because I feel like if we make eye contact while we're brushing our teeth, then he's going to think, oh, tonight's the night. Or he may be very nice and helping with the kids and cleaning up the house and picking up toys and, and washing the dishes because there's still a chance that we might have sex tonight. But then if one of the kids uh, ends up getting sick or staying up late or one of the kids gets angry when I'm trying to help them with their homework, then I almost can watch him go through this pouting where he's, he thinks, OK, I guess we're not going to have sex tonight. So then what's the point? And then he goes off and does his own thing, even to the point where during that time I said uh, I would share some of this with my wife and I would say, that's crazy, right? And she I remember she said, oh, you kind of do that. And, and I thought are, what are you are you crazy I, i'm I'm the therapist i'm very aware of these things, but she said that it wasn't that after there was intimacy that kick the family pet or that sort of thing, but it would seem that I was far more in, in, in tune or attentive and then even when intimacy happened then it wasn't that I was mean, that I maybe wasn't as engaged, so that led to a time that i and I know I've podcasted about this a few times. Where then after, then I would say, Hey, look, I'm, I'm helping out around the house and I'm not even uh, anticipating intimacy, anything like that, which I don't think was probably the, the ideal way to communicate that as well. But changing the relationship with intimacy so that you can then allow more of a physical connection where it can be more of a, it's, it's hugging, it's kissing, it's playful, touching, it's massaging, those sort of things. Without that, is this going to lead to sex? So reestablishing that relationship with intimacy so that you both can feel more comfortable just being around each other, whether it's just holding hands, whether it's just uh, uh, laying each other's laps, whether it's just sharing more of these intimate moments without it meaning that it has to go to sex. So I think having those conversations is something that's very important to change that relationship with intimacy. And it's interesting because I remember at the time too, having when I would have this conversation with people, and it was almost as if the guy would look at me and say, Okay, gotcha. If I do this for what do I gotta do? Two weeks, three weeks, a month, and then we'll we end up having more sex. And then I would say, okay, we're kind of missing the point there. If you have more of a connect, then that is actually gonna be something that is gonna be far more fulfilling is to feel like I can communicate more with my spouse or partner, spend more time, and there isn't always this vibe in the air or this energy of okay what's going to happen and then because then once if it feels like it's not going to happen then people then become they become disappointed they pout and then that is actually what can eventually create this dynamic where people have a pity sex or a transactional sex or just intimacy so that then he will then not pout or that then he will be nicer to the kids or that sort of thing so changing that relationship with intimacy is a very important part of the marriage i believe and then having the tools to be able to communicate about that is absolutely necessary as well. All right, please, number six, own up to your mistakes. This is where I've done many podcasts about accountability. And I just say nothing diffuses a situation faster than saying, my bad. And we are so, this is the emotional immaturity. This is the whole concept that I talk about over on my Waking Up the Narcissism podcast so often is that we're all, in essence, emotionally immature until we are aware, until we can work on our emotional maturity. One of the key traits of emotional immaturity is that when anyone disagrees, or even has a different opinion, or there's even a shift in the energy there, that we take that as criticism. So if my wife says, again, we'll go back to this, uh, just a silly example of, do you really like that movie? Do you really like Dumb and Dumber? That if in my emotional immature state, if I view that she's saying that's ridiculous or I view it as criticism, then our brain is wired to go back to this place of shame where she's saying, wait, if she's saying that I'm a horrible husband or a bad father because I like what I like. And then when we go to this emotionally immature response, when we feel like someone has attacked our sensibilities, then we go to great lengths to protect their fragile ego. That's where the concepts of things like gaslighting come from or where people get really, they get big and angry or they withdraw. Then instead of staying present and saying, and st- and, and saying, Oh yeah, I do, I do like that movie. Then instead people go to these unhealthy ways to communicate where then they say, you like dumb movies too. Or well, what about those Jane Austen movies? You're like, I don't like those. And so we're defending our fragile ego rather than leaning into a conversation and and with curiosity. And, and so that same concept happens with the world of accountability, that if I did something, if I forgot to call someone that I'm supposed to call, instead of saying, you don't always follow through on your stuff either, that is so emotionally immature. The emotional mature thing is to say, man, my bad, I totally forgot. And it is liberating. It is empowering. I feel like I go through this every day where my wife and I will have a, a combined task list about things that are going on with the family. And I will have certain responsibilities or things that I need to follow through on. And I will forget. I'm a human being. And so when I forget, then the best thing I can do is to say, I forgot. Instead of saying, oh, man, yeah, I meant to call them and they didn't get back to me. And, and I find that we almost do that stuff impulsively. When in reality, instead of saying, oh, I forgot, I need to write myself a note, or I will call them, instead of saying, yeah, I called them, uh, they never got back to me. Heaven forbid, then, if my wife ever one day said, oh, uh, can I see your call log? Not that she would do that, but I feel like, is it really worth that for me to to just, instead of saying, yeah, I forgot the call, I need to do that. I need to write myself a note. And I love it. I love that my wife will say, did you write a note? And instead of me saying, how dare you uh, question me in writing my notes? Because how many times do I not write the note uh, often? So that's where I will appreciate her. And I will then say, no, you know what? Let me do that real quick. And so taking ownership or accountability is again, marriage advice. That would be an amazing thing to do uh, from the start. Or if you haven't been doing that, jump in and start doing that. Number seven, ask more questions. I still remember. I remember this so well. The I, I say the floor is open for questions. And I remember working with a couple. I can think of the person right this very moment. And it's a couple's it's a couple's session, and I wasn't as confident with my couple's skills at this time. And so that's why I remember the significance of this moment of going pretty big when the husband said he was telling he was telling me that he tries to tell stories. She wants to know about his day, which I love. But he said, so I say, fine, I'll tell her about my day. But then she keeps interrupting me with more questions. And he looks at me like, can you believe that? And I remember having this moment thinking, how dare she? I mean, is that what you want me to say? Or how about... Wow, what an opportunity to connect and what an opportunity to communicate. So if he is saying, and he was saying this at the time, he was saying, okay, I will tell you, but I want no interruptions. And I don't want you to ask me again because I'm already telling you one time. So you need to pay attention. And I just think, just listen to the, the negativity or the energy that is in there. Is that a way to drive a communication? Is that a way to drive a relationship forward? Absolutely not. So with my wife, I will say, and I will say this over and over again, because I worry that this wasn't the person I was the first 10, 15 years of our marriage, where I know that there were times where I probably put off that same vibe, but we've got a whole life into the the eternities here to communicate. So uh, we got time. So if she's saying, "Oh, okay, sorry, I wasn't following. Can I ask a quick question? Then I want to say, absolutely you can. The floor is open for questions. And in the world of my four pillars, which is based off of emotionally focused therapy or couples, EFT, I often talk about flow, that if we are starting to have a conversation about something, and I, I give this example that was another couple that was in my office a long time ago, but he was starting to tell a story about our dream. I think he was talking about a dream and he talked about a dream and he talked about it having, there was a bus in the dream and the wife just said, oh, hey, can I ask what kind of bus? And in that scenario, the person, the husband acted a little bit put off or offended He just said, and I remember saying, this is an opportunity to connect, yeah. And I look at the wife and I said, what are you, take me on your train of thought. And she said, when I think of bus, I'm thinking of my parents used to send me across country in a Greyhound. So are we talking about a Greyhound bus? Because if so, I've got this different view. And the husband said, oh man, no, I was thinking of a yellow school bus. And then just that simple exchange, then she was able to say, oh, okay, thank you. And I just thought that's flow. And we need to be able to feel like we can ask questions And that it isn't someone trying to derail the conversation. It's somebody seeking connection. And so that that's my my number seven marriage tip is feel free to ask questions. The floor is open for questions. And if you are somebody who says, look, I already told you. And that means if the person didn't hear or understand, that means they're human. And I guarantee there are times where you are the one that has said, oh, sorry, I wasn't paying attention. Can you tell me? So I don't know why we should expect that everyone else, when I speak, is going to hang on my every word. Because that is uh, that is emotionally immature and, and absolutely not fair. Number eight, try not to listen to things, read things, do things with your elbow. And this is something that Preston Pugmire and I talk about in our Magnetic Marriage course right out of the gate, is how often do you listen to a podcast or, or read a talk or an article with your elbow? And doing this on the YouTube video here, just pointing, elbowing your partner saying, huh, did you hear that? Did you? I think you would really benefit from hearing that that is not a way to drive connection. If you feel like that would be something that you would love uh, to share with your spouse, then absolutely feel free to share it. But that doesn't mean that if I'm going to share this article, it's not coming from this place of, hey, you better listen to this because this applies to you. But I feel like if you are someone that feels like that connected, uh, an article, a podcast resonated with you, then it's absolutely okay to say, hey, I I really liked this podcast and so I wanted to share it with you. And again, going back to emotional maturity, I can think right now, of podcasts or articles or things that I've shared in our family group chat with my kids, where in the past, I would follow up and say, hey, did anybody li- you, nobody's talking about this thing that I said you need to listen to. What's up with that? And versus, uh, hey, this is something I can offer out to my family that I think is important. But if somebody decides not to listen to it, that's okay. Uh, they're not doing that to hurt me. It's just something that I want to put out there. And I have to be able to do that without reciprocity, without feeling like, okay, then they better listen to it. Because I know that there are plenty of times where somebody, I don't feel like I have the time to, uh, to or energy to put into something that somebody's saying. I think that you would benefit from this. I, I was uh, driving home last night, and someone had sent me a week ago something that they thought I would really enjoy. And I was, I, I didn't really want to hear listen to my audio book. I didn't have a podcast that was handy, and so I went to click on this thing that they had offered up. And it turns out that it was audio through Twitter. I think they call it Twitter Spaces. And I couldn't get it to work. I felt like a technology-challenged old man for a little bit. But I remember just feeling, oh, man, this is a lot of effort. But then I felt like if I don't do this, then I'm going to let this person down. And it's just interesting to see the internal battle that we can have, where in reality, I ended up figuring it out, listened to it for a few minutes, and then absolutely forgot about it again, now that I think about that on my way into work today. But it's okay to have these expectations that that it would be ideal, I would love for somebody that I care about to listen to something that I thought was enjoyable, but then they may run into technical difficulties as well. And that doesn't mean that they don't care about you. It just means that life happens. So number nine, try to be present with your partner. And I think this one can be a a real challenge today. This is where, again, I'll pull a old man, get off my lawn moment, but try your best to be present, to make eye contact. If you need to, to hold your partner's hand, or I almost feel like this is where I'm trying gingerly to say, you might need to set your phone down, whether it's with your kids or with your spouse. And I'm not trying to say this to bring shame or guilt to anyone, but I feel like over time, We just start to develop these patterns and even we convince ourselves that I can still listen, I can multitask, I can listen, I'm just going to text while you tell me, but I feel like in a perfect world, if I really need to finish a text, then the emotional mature response would be to say, hey, can you just give me 30 seconds or let me just finish up this text because I want to give you my attention. Or if the person is more important, and I feel like if I'm being honest, this is something I, I try to do with my kids and I've tried to do as long as I can, that is, is any text really more important than I've got a, a kid here in front of me that wants to share something with me. So I feel like it's very empowering for a parent to to make sure that then they set that phone down and then they give their kid their full attention and they don't act like, okay, hurry, get get to it. I've got stuff I have to do. Because you'll have plenty of time to send texts and that sort of thing. And I feel like I'm almost about to get emotional and have a moment here as my youngest is is 18 and graduating high school. So it it does become that thing where, oh, I would give anything for them to be coming home and having these conversations late at night. And so truly take advantage of those moments and be present. And if that means putting your phone down, then probably a good idea to put your phone down. Okay. That was number, I think that was number eight. That was actually number nine or eight, nine. I don't remember. And I'm going to be very authentic here, but I know that I have, no, I have two more on here. Pause before speaking or before reacting. And this is what a mindfulness practice will allow you to do building that pause in is one of the most powerful things that you can do and in the world of in the world of emotionally focused therapy and I pulled this out again yesterday on a, literally it's a book called emotionally focused therapy for couples for dummies I think that's a lot of a long title but it was so powerful because it talks about how we do our emotions run about two and a half times faster than our thoughts or our logic and so we often get caught up in this, I can absolutely control my thoughts, that it's a choice, a conscious choice. I'm going to choose to be happy today, which sounds amazing. And again, if this works for somebody, then that is great. But I feel like this is one of those principles that works until it doesn't. Because if I am waking up in the morning and I am going to make this the best day of my life and I'm going to be happy, I'm exercising, I laid out all my clothes, I ate right, and I'm on my way to work and now I get caught in a traffic jam then my emotion is operating at two and a half times the speed of my logic. So I may then emote or immediately go to this visceral reaction of, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? Why, why is the traffic so bad today? And then what do we get to do? Now we get to beat ourselves up because we had an emotion. We had a natural human emotion and now we beat ourselves up because we say, oh my gosh, I, I can't even control my thoughts. I can't even decide to be happy and then be happy. Instead, I'm frustrated or my emotion serves a purpose because we naturally just have this reaction because we're a human being. And that that part is there to protect us. It's our gut reaction. It's our visceral reaction. And this is where if you have ever been walking around outside and you look down on the ground and you see a stick, but it looks somewhat like a snake. So you recoil a little bit, take a little breath and say, okay, it's just a stick. That's a miracle. That That is why telling ourselves that we can control our thoughts is uh, is adorable. And it's something that we can start to be able to build this pause so that we can notice the reaction within us, and then take action on a value or something that matters. And, and that is in the world of acceptance and commitment therapy. I think I've done two or three episodes talking around the data, the science behind that, that if you are asking yourself to suddenly flip and, and get rid of your visceral reaction, your gut reaction, uh, I, I don't want that to happen because our, our emotional or visceral reaction is there to protect us. But then we can build in this pause to be able to then notice that And then take action and do something that matters or something of value. So try your best to build that pause in. The best way you can do that is a daily mindfulness practice. Over time, it starts to build in that pause that I'm noticing that I am thinking. I'm noticing that I am feeling instead of just I just reacted. So giving that pause is, is just an amazing thing. The last thing. So this is number 10. Do not be too cool to have fun, to play, to embarrass yourself. Not embarrass your spouse but yourself, that in order to be able to just be fully present, you're going to experience a wide range of human emotions. And some of those are going to be embarrassment. They're going to be laughter. They're going to be fun. They're going to be fear. They're going to be all the different emotions and, and be present, feel them. And there is nothing I feel like more empowering than Ma just enjoying life or, or being silly or that sort of thing to your spouse, but especially to your kids or those around you. This is where I feel like letting yourself be human, absolutely liberates others around you. And when I've noticed before that when I feel like I can crack a joke or self-deprecating humor or tell a story about the, I just was speaking somewhere recently and I told the, a story again about being down in a very fancy hotel in LA back in my computer days and not having the USA Today paper outside of my door. I still don't understand why, but the place across did. So I thought I was just going to grab that one and I walk out in just my underwear bottoms. And then I heard the lack latch of the door closed behind me and i spent the next 15 minutes out in the hallway in my underwear as i had to call the people at the front desk to come up and get me. So is that an embarrassing story? Absolutely. Did i live through it? Yes, i did. Am i human? Yes, yes i am. And so being able to take ownership of those share those, we're all human and just to be able to look at things with humor and curiosity is just such an amazing part of the human experience. Okay, hey, we're going to we're going to call it a day right now, but i so appreciate you joining me today on the virtual couch. Hopefully some of these marriage tips resonated if you if you are interested in finding out more about the magnetic marriage course then head over to tonyoverbay.com go to the contact form and just shoot me an email We'll, we'll i'll shoot you a quick note back and we'll get you on the wait list and then you'll be hearing about that more but i am just truly grateful for the podcast has hit another bit of growth and that has been fun to watch the statistics go up and the number of places that it's shared and the countries and that sort of thing. So I absolutely appreciate it. and every single person who listens, who downloads, who forwards, who rates, who reviews, and I'm truly grateful. So taking us out today, as per usual, is the wonderful, the talented Aurora Florence with her song, It's Wonderful. All right, everybody, have an amazing day and I will see you next time on the Virtual Couch.